This episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast is brought to you by Device Talks Tuesdays, our weekly series of digital conversations. Join us this Tuesday at 4 p.m. The topic is paperless manufacturing. It's easier than you think. It's brought to you by Master Control. Go to devicetalks.com to register. All right, you ready for this? Ready. Tom Salami, welcome back to the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. It's great to have you here. Got a great interview for you today. Actually, it comes from our Medtronic Talks podcast. I spoke recently with Linnea Berman, Vice President and General Manager of Enabling Technologies of Cranial and Spinal Technologies, and Megan Rosengarten, President of Surgical Robotics. They appeared on our Medtronic Talks podcast, our recently launched Medtronic's Talk podcast, to talk about Medtronic's surgical robot portfolio. So it was an excellent conversation. It went out earlier this week on our Medtronic Talks podcast, but I wanted to share it with you here on Device Talks Weekly. I won't run these Medtronic podcasts very frequently on this channel, probably hardly at all. But uh, this is a new podcast. I wanted to make sure you got a flavor for it. Once again, if you like what you hear, and I'm sure you will, please do subscribe. We have this on all the major podcast channels, Apple, Amazon, Spotify, you name it. We're up there. Google, we got that. We got Google. So just make sure you uh, subscribe to Medtronic Talks. And of course, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the Device Talks weekly podcast. Now, without any further delay, let's get into this week's Newmarker's Newsmakers with Chris Newmarker, Executive Editor of Life Sciences, and Danielle Kirsch, Senior Editor at Life Sciences at our Mass Device, Medical Design and Outsourcing, and many other great publications, as you'll hear. Let's go. Well, Chris Newmarker, how are you, sir? Doing well, man. Doing well. Working through the week. Good, good. You didn't say happy Friday, considering it's actually Wednesday. It can still be a happy Wednesday, but uh, this is interesting. I mean, yeah, we're uh, like because you're taking time off, Tom. Why I decided you, to take a few days it's off. It's not allowed. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's good, man. It's good, good balance. And, you know, but this will be an interesting experiment because we're talking today on a Wednesday. So we'll see what our energy level is like. And we'll also see this will be a fun game. If uh, people listen to us talk, go find the video that I put out at the end of the week on what the top stories are. And let's see how many of these are still here. Like when we're. That's a great point. I don't know if people know that you there is a video version of the new Marcus Newsmakers. You yes. put that together and we post it out on all of our social media channels. Exactly. So if you want to hop on a LinkedIn, see, you know, I'll have a little quick video on uh, on uh, on Friday when I'm running over the new, new markers, newsmakers. So we'll see uh, see how much of this sticks for the for the rest of the week. Uh, but it's nothing. And if you if if you people find a discrepancy, you will buy them a donut, right? Is that? Oh no, wait. That's if they get a vaccine. Never mind. All right. No, they they find a discrepancy. They could just have bragging rights. In Russia, it's a strange ice cream bar. You get a like this like. I mean, they probably had like a warehouse with all those ice cream bars that they get out to <laughs> people who get the Sputnik vaccine. And I was going to say, I think, I think it was the cosmonaut uh, supply that yeah, they're, no they're using. So it was like it's yeah, it's actually space ice cream. You know, it tastes like chalk. <laughs> it's chocolate flavored chalk. It's just great. You know, it's like. Uh, I remember the first time I tried that type of ice cream. I was at the, um, I was in Wapakoneta, Ohio. <laughs> There's the Neil Armstrong Museum in Wapakoneta. 
Danielle Kirsch, when did you, you realize that this was a horrible mistake joining us on the podcast? <laughs> uh, I haven't yet. <laughs> <laughs> Danielle Kirsch is here, senior editor of Life Sciences. Have you ever been to Wapakoneta, Danielle? <laughs> I, nope. Can't, I, I couldn't even begin to tell you how to spell that. I, I don't know how to spell it either. Just, you say it with such authority, though. That's, that's I, I imagine that's how it must be pronounced. There's no uncertainty in your voice. Been, I was I was there on a school trip like hundred years ago. We actually rode horses there. It was fun. You know, it was great. We got I back think, a day later. I think he's making stuff up now. Now, <laughs> I think he's conflating several trips. We rode horses, and then we saw a dragon, and then. <laughs> All right, Danielle Kirsch, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. The number one question I'm sure everyone has on their mind once they heard your voice on the podcast is you're vaccinated now. Did you fulfill your fantasy of going to Trader Joe's and leisurely looking through the aisles without fear of contracting COVID? Uh, yeah, I went, I went to Trader Joe's and I bought out their lilies, their lily flowers. <laughs> um, all of them. You just bought, I'll take them all, uh, Trader it Joe's. It was only four bunches, but you know, I awesome. love lilies. <laughs> Great way to brighten the day. That's terrific. The small joys, the little joys we can get. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have you here for a reason other than just sharing your, your, your expert insights on, uh, on Trader Joe's. It's also to uh, kind of kick off our, our new markers, newsmaker. So Chris, this is your shebang. Why don't you uh, introduce number five on the New Markers Newsmakers as well, of you know, Wednesday? As of Wednesday, uh, number five, it ran on full on uh, medical tubing and extrusion, which uh, which is run by Danielle here. Um, and, uh, you know, Danielle, tell us, tell us some more about it. Yeah. So I did an article about the uh, four catheter based devices to watch for in 2021. It's mainly about devices in the pipeline and you can find a lot of that information through um, a lot of the company's investor reports, investor conference presentations. And um, there are a couple on our list from Abbott, uh, BD, Cardiovascular Systems, and and Teleflex. And they all have varying uh, catheter-based devices that are in the pipeline for this year. Yeah, I mean it's it's an interesting space because I mean we 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 write a lot about minimally invasive devices and you know you've a lot of this stuff is that's minimally invasive is like the lure in the body through catheters through tubes basically so it's um i mean out of the and it's interesting too that this year we've got a lot of um a lot of technology that's going to be launched i mean the, the companies have a lot of stuff that's been that they've been working on that we're going to be like seeing launch this year as we hopefully get out of this pandemic and i mean out of those catheter debate based devices that you read about what what especially caught your eye was what was one of the more interesting ones Abbott has a list of catheter-based devices that that they're they have in the pipeline that they told me about, and the one in particular that I found interesting was um, a left atrial appendage occluder uh, and delivery system. Just its its size is small, and then another one of their devices that I found really interesting that they're telling me about is their Piccolo occluder, which is a minimally invasive transcatheter treatment device for premature babies with patent ductus so it's it's so it's so small that it can go in a premature baby's heart and then to me that's just really fascinating because you know pediatrics in general is underserved but pediatric cardiology is just so niche yeah and the, and the fact that devices uh is something that well i i i I suspect there's probably advantages because because it's minimally invasive like this is something they could go back in and 
like put in something larger as 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 the kid gets older without having to crack open their chest. Yeah, it can just be removed. You don't have to. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean that that's kind of like like I know with um, heart implants for for babies. That's uh, I mean that I mean that's one of the really tough things. Not only does your kid have a heart problem, but um, you know they're they're having to like like avoiding like a you know a string of uh, open heart surgeries. Is exactly. A really comforting thing for parents. So um, yeah, that that's fascinating. So um, I know you're you're going to be. Um, I recall you're going to be looking more into, you know, the, you know, the, the implants piccolo, if I recall, right? Yes. Uh, the pediatric ones, is, those are the ones I find most, most interesting. I think that, that'll be really cool to, to hear, you know, your future reporting on that. And- All right. Well, it's clearly an, an important area that MedTech needs to focus on. Thanks for that report, Danielle. Where can people find, uh, find your, your piece again? Medicaltubingandextrusion.com. It's awesome. Awesome. Thanks. Great, great work. Chris, let's move on to number four. All right. Well, number four on the list, we've got uh, Neuroelectrics raising $17.5 million in a, in a Series A. Uh, Neuroelectrics is a uh, brain stimulation technology developer. They've got their uh, non-invasive uh, transcranial electrical stimulation platform. So just a just a really, uh, really hot space. Um, you know, and this, this is good. This is for by the way, for treating uh, epilepsy and, you know, at-home treatment of uh, refractory uh, depression. Um, but um, yeah, just, just some more money being raised. Uh, you know, this whole idea of using electricity to try to, uh, you know, to, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, treat different conditions related to the brain and just, you know, continues to grow. It's a, it's a really neat space. Let's move on to number three on the new Marcus Newsmakers, Chris. Number three on the list, we've got uh, Medtronic winning uh, a CE mark for their uh, Evolute Pro Plus uh, TAVI system, their next generation uh, TAVI system. Um, interestingly enough, it looks like, I mean, this this is already FDA approved in the U.S. Um, it's it's an interesting situation, Tom. I remember the old days when we, it used to be, hey, you know, something got a CE mark and then eventually got FDA approval. And now uh, it's kind of like the other way around That's now. Right. Those tables, they have turned. That's for sure. The tables they have turned. Like the U.S. is uh, seems like the 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 regulatory process seems to be less of a pain in the U.S. right now than, uh, than in Europe. So the companies companies doing it here first. All right, let's move on to, to number two on the New Markets Newsmakers list. Well, number two on the list, we've got uh, the uh, Department of Justice announcing a $4.4 million uh, settlement with uh, spine surgeon Wilson, you know, S4, uh, uh, you know, Dr. S4 was, uh, you know, targeted over in a, in a false claim act allegations that he was uh, creating an unlawful economic incentive you know, for him to use and overuse his own devices because he was using mm-hmm. his own devices on patients. Um, interestingly enough, Medtronic was kind of part of this in I a way because there was a separate yeah. settlement back in October. Where, you know, Medtronic paid millions of dollars. This was kind of interesting because it was like, you know, it was, you know, allegations of improper payments to S4 and it had to do with the fact that, you know, it sounds like Medtronic people were doing social events at the Brazilian restaurant he ran, he owned. So it's... That's definitely an interesting case. So I guess the, the the lesson for that is if you're in the medical device industry, it's not just payments you make to doctors. Don't don't go have a social event at the doc's uh, restaurant if he owns one. I guess too. That's a good thing to remember. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, that's one to keep in mind. And it's good. It's um, it's good that there are surgeons out there who are uh, keeping an eye out for patients who who aren't their own. Yeah, so good for yeah, them. it was good. There were some whistleblowers in that. And- All right, what's the the big number one in this? I think. Sound effect free new markers newsmakers. We haven't really had a call no. for one yet, but no uh, Godzilla. who knows? Could happen. No Godzilla. No Godzilla. What's number one? All right, number <laughs> number one 
on the list. We've uh, got just kind of an interesting tidbit about Apple here that you know, Rockley of Photonics indicating an SEC filing that uh, they, they might be working with Apple in the future to introduce new monitoring functions to the uh, Apple Watch. And kind of the buzz around this is like there, there always, you know, was an Apple Insider report like talking about you know, lead these like rumors that, you know, Apple's for a long time has really wanted to have like glucose monitoring through the skin using the, uh, the Apple watch. So just, just kind of like a little tidbit, like, Hey, maybe, maybe Apple really is going to be, uh, coming in here and going into the, uh, the glucose, uh, you know, monitoring, uh, space with, with the Apple watch. So just, it'll just be interesting to see what, what comes of this. And, you know, and I, I know it's, uh, it always gets a lot of attention in medtech whenever there's any suggestion that any of these high tech companies are going to be coming in and trying to do something medical. So we'll just see what happens, but just, just very interesting. I'm a big fan of the Apple watch. I have one and I just purchased, uh, some Apple tags because I lose things all the time car keys, wallets, and things. So hopefully Apple can not only save my bacon in that regard, but maybe someday can check my my glucose levels. That'd be great. You know, that's a great idea. We were spending 20 minutes around the house the other day just looking for car keys. They're not that expensive. Although you have to buy the tags and then you have to buy the keychains to put the tags in. So that was that was a little rope and dope. My son's like, didn't you get tags? I'm like, no, I just, I mean, didn't you buy the keychains? I said, no, I I just bought the tags. But... uh, But hold on, Danielle Kirsch, we need a Barry the Groundhog update. Any any uh, indication as to where the medtech industry is headed based upon your neighbor's, aka the groundhog's behavior? Well, I haven't seen him in my yard, but Uh-oh. I was sitting on my porch yesterday and he went to the neighbor's porch and sat on it. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't know what groundhog. that might indicate, but maybe he's a little hungry. I don't know. <laughs> It could be a good year for the med tech industry in Europe. Wow. Because your neighbor's yard's like Europe. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Keep 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 wow. keep reading those tea leaves. That's a that's a good Are you in a competition with your neighbors now over Barry? No, they have dogs. So that's why I was con- I was concerned why he went over there. I, I don't know if I want to have a groundhog on my, my porch steps. I just don't think that's a good look for <laughs> curb appeal. And uh I don't know the health of the groundhog. So I hope Barry's doing okay. <laughs> if anyone wants to send flowers, Danielle, they can they can send them to. Uh, well, you can just pick some more up at Trader Joe's for Barry. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Exactly. <laughs> All right, everyone. As I mentioned up top, going to bring you this week's episode of the Medtronic Talks podcast, featuring Linnea Berman and Megan Rosengarten of Medtronic. Hey everyone, this is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome to our newest member of the Device Talks podcast family. It's called Medtronic Talks. Our constant search to find new ways to bring you insights in the medtech industry led us to the fine, fine folks of Medtronic. They've agreed to make their senior leaders available to us and to you. In each episode, we'll discuss the opportunities and challenges facing one of medtech's clear leaders, so you'll have an inside view on what makes Medtronic go. We'll ask the questions, Medtronic will provide the answers, and our great network of sponsors makes it all possible. So sit back, hop on a treadmill, take the dog for a walk, whatever you do when you listen to a great podcast podcast and let's listen to how Medtronic is getting the job done. Let's go. 
Hey, everybody, this is Tom Salami. Welcome to this episode of the Medtronic Talks Podcast. It's brought to you by Maxim. We're talking surgical robotics today. I'm going to speak with Megan Rosengarten. She is the president of surgical robotics at Medtronic. I also had the great pleasure of talking to Linnea Berman. Linnea is the vice president and general manager of enabling technologies of cranial and spinal technologies at Medtronic. So we're going to talk a lot about Mazor. We're going to talk a lot about Hugo. Lots of movement in the space for the latter. Medtronic has filed for a CE mark approval for Hugo, and it's submitted an IDE in the U.S. In fact, it hopes to begin its first patient procedure with Hugo's RAS system, very soon, coming weeks. So uh, lots going on, lots to talk about. Linnea and Megan were great to talk to. We talked about where Medtronic and surgical robotics is headed. Far-ranging conversation. Very grateful for the time they took, and I hope you'll enjoy this conversation. I'm happy to introduce our sponsor, Maxon. Maxon, of course, is a worldwide leading provider of high-precision drive systems. I'm joined by Peter Van Beek. Peter is the business development manager for the medical group at Maxon. Peter, tell us about all the different industries, all the different projects we can find Maxon in. Using an automobile analogy, Maxon is under the hood of many critical medical devices. Maxon drives heart pumps, ventilators, insulin, dialysis, drug delivery and feeding pumps, lab automation, atherectomy devices, respirators, and surgical power tools. Thanks, Peter. Now let's hear from Megan Rosengarden and Linnea Berman of Medtronic. Well, Linnea Berman and Megan Rosengarden, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thanks so much, Tom. Let's understand where Medtronics is in surgical robotics. This is a field where you're making a real aggressive push uh, there's a lot of other activity in the space as well. But before we get into the, the broader conversation, I'd like to understand what areas within Medtronic you both are working on in regards to robotics. Linnea, let's talk first about uh, your space. You're in the, the cranial, cranial spine therapy space, correct? That's correct. I'm general manager for the Enabling Technologies Organization, which includes, as we're talking about today, spinal robotics, but also navigation, imaging, powered instruments, and surgical energy equipment. And that's just in the broader cranial and spinal technologies business, which also includes our spinal implants, as well as our China Orthopedics Organization, and now most recently, Metacrea. And in terms of systems, so the Maser follows under your your business? Correct. Correct. Excellent. And uh, Megan Rosengart, where are you coming from in, in a robotic sense? Yeah, so I'm, I'm the president of our surgical robotics operating unit. Our, our main focus is on what we usually refer to as soft tissue um, versus is hard tissue or, or bone. So soft tissue surgery with the robotic platform. And then we, we also have um, an, another business under our umbrella called Digital Surgery, which is a company that we acquired um, an AI-based simulation and, uh, and, and training as well as ORAI company out of London last year. We actually just celebrated our one-year anniversary of the acquisition today. So Yay. it's a very exciting part of our, our company as well. That's great. So this, this is a very exciting space. Uh, we've obviously, we, we've seen different uh, attempts and other companies have brought in surgical robots at this point in time. We're seeing a lot of other players in the space, uh, startups and larger companies, building their own robotics platform. So I'd love to understand from you both, from Medtronic's perspective, what is driving this sort of surgical robotics race? Is it a need to be competitive with other med tech providers in the space or 
are there demands coming from the surgeons or the providers or the patients? Uh, Megan, is that something you want to start off with? Yeah, yeah, sure. I'm happy to. I, I think, you know, there's a couple of places that are pretty interesting. That is the patient plays a different role in the last 10 years and in the last year than they have in the past in terms of driving some of the decisions and the investment in technology. Um, and, and so, so part of my answer was there's a, there's a patient pull and ask for advanced technologies. But then when I step back and say, well, what's really fueling that? I, I think it is the advent of data and the access to data data and, and across lots of different ways. And, and one way with the patient getting now easily accessible information about care options and technology has pretty dramatically changed the decision makers and, and the way we think about um, bringing technology to bear on serving patients. So I, I think that's a pretty interesting thing over the last, again, 10 years or so that's just going to continue and then the, the corollary on, on the healthcare provider side, so let's stick with surgeons, I'm seeing this pretty interesting change over the past, again, I'd say five to 10 years of wanting data-enabled decisions in a way that in even to proficiency and surgeons wanting more information on how they're doing and how they're performing. And it's almost akin to a shift from being a, um, an artist to a high-performing athlete. So I think there's some interesting dynamics in that kind of all boils down to being able to access more, more and more information and hungry for that, that is now led into robotics and data-enabled therapy. That's a great point, yeah. And I want to get into digital surgery in a moment. Uh, Linnea, on, on your, from your perspective, number one, what is, what is driving the interest in robotics? But also with, with, with Mazur, you sort of have a unique play in that space. There's not a lot of activity in, in spine in, in regard to robotics. So how do, you, uh, how do you view that opportunity? Yeah, it's a great question, Tom. And I'll build on Megan's answer. Um, certainly the patients uh, have a strong interest in uh, understanding the, that they can get a predictable, predictable outcome from spine surgery. And today, I would say across the different stakeholders that you mentioned, there is an appreciation that spine is one of the more complex areas of medicine, and there's a fair amount of variability in how surgeons approach a procedure. Um, there's many ways to do it. There's a lot of different technology available. And so we're really trying to drive to predictive outcomes um, by getting to a stronger view on patient selection, by building consensus around an approach. And so robotics was one of the pathways to getting there um, because there's some planning capabilities that can start to build that consensus and allow surgeons to execute against the plan that they build in the operating room. So it's really a convergence of recognition of the variability. So I would say that there's the drive for robotics is coming across the stakeholders. And where does, you explained the areas that you're overseeing in Medtronic. Uh, Medtronic's undergone a, a, a rather extensive reorganization. I'd like to understand how robotics is sort of fitting into those 20 different businesses. How many of them are they touching? Do you see a, t a day when they touch almost all of them? Uh, how is robotics sort of, I, I understand, Linnea, you're probably, you've got your own focus on your business, but will we see robotics, how, how will robotics be applied across Medtronic's many platforms? I think today you've got the two examples of, of where Med, Medtronic has already adopted robotics, and but I would say more broadly, we've got a lot of excitement around the potential for robotics in many different applications. So while these are the, the uh, current examples that we have, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there's uh, some application in, in many other business units down the line. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I think the, the sort of two things came to mind with that question. And one is that we have what we call our 
pan Medtronic technology vectors as it relates to robotics. And those four vectors are identified as robotic platforms. And you can imagine the things that fall into that, things like robotic arms, control systems, et cetera. And then we have navigation and visualization. We've got instruments and implants. And then the fourth is data and analytics. And by organizing on those four vectors and putting purpose investment and thought across Medtronic into those four, it's part of how we get to exactly, Tom, your question of what is that pan-Medtronic view that we're building and continuing to invest in technologies and capabilities so that when we do have opportunities, and I, and then this kind of gets to the second, I think of opportunities as meaningful clinical and economic problems to be solved that could be served by a robot. And I mm-hmm. think there are, are many um, of those across the other uh, 18 operating units um, that, that we have within the business. And I, I, I know we'll start to see more of tapping into those four vectors and those capabilities and some of those other operating units. Early on, there was some debate as to whether how much value the robotics actually offered. And, and I think with other companies, part of the selling point was you your, your hospital can have a billboard up on the highway saying, we have a robot doing surgery, come have your surgery done with us, which is a, an interesting way to, to sort of add value to a, to a provider. But we're going to your earlier point, we've, we've kind of gone beyond that where robotics is really adding more than just sort of enhancing the surgical, uh, the actual surgery at the time or the surgical's performance at the time, but really building a mountain of, of evidence and, and data around it. Megan, what is the last five years look like in terms of that that transformation from a marketing tool that also added some performance, but now providing much, much more. What is what has the past five years been in, in, in that evolution? Yeah, um, it's a, it's one of my favorite sort of case studies, 20 years when you, you know, just your point and you, you depicted it really succinctly there of something that in the beginning was a little bit of a niche and a novelty, um, you know, 20 years ago. Um, and I think we were all wondering what was going to pan out in terms of the clinical and economic outcomes and benefits from robotics. And fast forward to today or the last 10 years, um, I do think we've seen a, a couple things. One, that user experience really matters, and it's not something to take lightly. So the, the advantages to the surgeon and the OR staff of having a robotic system um, to increase confidence uh, in, in precision uh, and, and visualization in particular, that, that's a real thing. And so is the ergonomic components of robotics. Those are those are real end user benefits that I think are one of the things that made robotics sticky over the 20 years as we started to generate, to your question, evidence that there are actually either improvements in outcomes today or the, the opportunity to go there, kind of seeing the light of, yes, this when added with data and with added added in technologies that are getting the ability to see the unseen with the naked eye and the ability to have movements that are so precise and reduce any tremor from the human hand. Those kinds of things are iteratively improving, improving, improving and adding up to what we see as um, starting to see better outcomes in a clinical sense. Mm-hmm. And then I think when you look past the past five years and look forward in industry and in healthcare, I think people really believe, I believe, in the power of continuing that technology roadmap and increasing how we make better decisions with data is going to get to better outcomes, both clinical, economic, and it is going to increase access to healthcare for more patients. So it's, mm-hmm. it's definitely an evolution and a journey. I get it spot on and go where we came from and, and being pretty different today. 
Lene, I have a different question for you, but I would just ask, do you have anything to, to add to that question? You know, it's interesting because Megan hit on a number of themes that I would say are very similar in the orthopedic robotic space. And what I'm excited about is uh, I think when this started, it, it offered a level of precision that was very attractive in the placement of pedicle screws. And that's just one aspect of the procedure, um, but we'll continue to build on that, and we're seeing that already. Um, so adding to procedure, the point that Megan made about ergonomics um, for physicians to kind of save themselves a little bit in terms of the it's a spine surgery is a very physical type of procedure. And now with the, the robotics and the way we're starting to incorporate more of our, um, our powered instruments, for example, it, it's just a less uh, of a physical requirement on the physician. But then there's always been a value around planning, but a lot of physicians don't have the time or just haven't incorporated pre-surgical planning to the extent that it may add value to the procedure. And robotics is really moving that along much faster, taking a few minutes to conduct the pre-surgical plan and then execute that plan with the robot, with the help of the robot in the operating room and have it go exactly as planned is one of the benefits we're seeing play it out today. And I think the the roadmap from here just gets uh, greater and greater. We're going to take a quick break from this conversation to bring back our sponsor. I'm here with Peter Van Beek. Peter, once again, is a business development manager at Maxon. Peter, let's take a step back. Tell us a bit more about Maxon. Maxon at its core is an engineering company that develops and builds world-class electric drive systems. Uh, We're a Swiss-based, privately held global company. And what's nice about our product line is you can piece together whatever you need. It's modular in its form. Do you need a subfractional DC brush motor or brushless or a servo assembly consisting of a motor, a gearhead on the front, a sensor on the back, and a controller? In other words, a complete mechatronic drive system. Uh, We provide standard catalog, semi-custom, or fully customized assemblies even complete drug and feeding pumps. Maxon does not shy away from cutting edge technologies to solve the impossible motor control application. That's great. And I know Maxon's been involved in surgical robotics for a long time. Tell us a bit about that history and what are some current trends that you're seeing in robotics? Sure. Maxon has been supplied drive systems to surgical robotics industry since its inception, starting in the 1990s with the Stanford Research Institute Golden Hour robot. Um, This is actually the precursor to the Da Vinci robot and that company. For the last 30 years, surgical robotic companies have been coming and placing their trust in Maxon worldwide based on our design and development expertise. Be it a multi-port, single-port, catheter-based robotic system, we supply the haptic and end effector drives. In terms of current trends, drive assemblies have been pushed to a smaller physical footprint, which are more power-dense, efficient, quieter, and lower inertia, especially on the haptic side. That's great. Final question, Peter. What are some of the advantages for medical device companies working with Maxim? Tom, let's start with quality. Uh, We're accredited to quality standards ISO 9001 and 1345. We have familiarity with MDR and FDA regulations, and we can help customers navigate that. Drug makers that bring projects to Maxon will have a benefit of working with engineers at the sales, project, and R&D levels. And in close collaboration with our customers, we develop drive systems tailored to the customer's specifications using uh, simple modifications or complex fully customized mechanisms, be it a whole insulin pump, saline tolerant drives, autoclavable options, hollow shafted motors, adaptable gearboxes of all types and ratios, a battery of sensors, and drive electronics for speed torque and positional control. That's great. Thanks again to Maxon for supporting this episode of the Medtronic Talks podcast. For more information, go to maxongroup.us. Now, back into this conversation with Linnea Berman, 
and Megan Rosengarten of Medtronic. So I'd like to understand a bit more as to how you're, you're building uh, and how Medtronic is building your robot, robotics platform. I know you're, there's a big push of putting the, the tech in, into med tech, and this is certainly a great example of that. I know that Mazur yep. was an earlier acquisition in the space, and Megan, you can hit upon the other acquisitions you made uh, recently as well. But has, has Medtronic's move into robotics, has it been primarily or at least initially driven by acquisitions. I know you're developing Hugo internally, but but walk me through sort of how you're building out this this robotics capability. Linnea, if you could take that first. Sure. So I think what you see represented here is that we're willing to take a variety of approaches. And with Mazor, um, they, Mazor had actually started in the early 2000s, around 2004. So they had a lot of experience in the market that uh, we really saw as valuable experience and wanted to tap and jumpstart. Our, our position in this market. And once we decided that robotics was the path forward to uh, improving outcomes and transforming spine care, we wanted to get there as fast as possible. So it started with a commercial agreement and then the acquisition occurred a couple of years ago. From here, the developments, which are rich, will be largely organic. But from time to time, I think as you've seen with the uh, acquisition of Medicrea, also in cranial and spinal technologies, we're willing to go outside when there's a differentiated technology that's maybe not kind of in the wheelhouse of what we do really well. So I think you'll see a combined approach. And Megan, can you walk us through uh, what's gone on internally with Hugo? And, and let's talk a little bit about the, the acquisitions as well. Yeah, it's a fun story, one I'm privileged to have been there from uh, from the beginning of. So I, I, I do like to talk about the early days of, of Hugo, before we named it Hugo, and where it, it was born out of a collaboration with the German Aerospace and Defense Organization. And we had partnered with that organization called VLR in the very early days, go back 2012 or so, um, and were working with them to partner on some robotic capabilities, technologies, and know-how. And you fast forward to today, we're on um, one of, if not the largest and most complex organic development projects um, within Medtronic and, and massively proud of that. Also, uh, you know, this comes with a lot of challenges to get here, but that kind of theme of partnering with experts has been a very purposeful way that we've built new capabilities capabilities within Medtronic that now um, we're also looking at how do we plant seeds of those capabilities in other operating units. And that um, that sort of gets us again from that 2012, and I remember our first prototypes made out of plywood and when we were doing that work, yeah. to, you know, to where we are today was an amazingly, you know, fun journey. And the other piece that's added to that is this most recent acquisition of digital surgery was, again, a very purposeful acknowledgement that we needed to augment not only you know our IP and our components, we needed to augment our capabilities. And that acquisition was as much, if not more, about a phenomenal team of people that we wanted to add to Medtronic to bolster our, our AI capabilities. So I think you know that's something that we'll continue to see and thinking strategically around is it IP, is it product, is it people and talent, and doing that mix of bolstering our organic work um, with some inorganic plays in that way. This is a, a competitive space. Uh, where is Hugo at in its development and how will it eventually differentiate, differentiate itself from others in the space? We're on, on the brink of our initial systems and our initial customers. And, and you know, as Ed, we've shared publicly that we're coming up on 
some pretty important milestones this calendar year. So you'll, you'll see us commercialized this year, which is really exciting. Like I said, given where we've been in this, uh, it's the 2012 timeframe. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the things that is important to, to think about with Hugo is that we went out after this with a really specific goal in mind, which was recognizing robotics has had a, a pretty phenomenal run in place in the market. Yet with that said, we're still less than 5% penetration in applicable surgeries around the world. And that's after 20 years and where we are. And we, and we recognized that back in 2012 when we started. So we, we turned our sights to what are the barriers to entering robotic surgery today? And those barriers for surgeons, for patients, for administrators, why are more people not purchasing and using? And what can we design that is going to help to remove those barriers? So that, that's been the, the purpose, purposefulness of the system is, uh, is to expand this market beyond the 5% you see today and bring the benefits of the technology to more patients around the world. So some of the ways as to how that shows up with Hugo, one is, is on the architecture. It's, it's a modular system based on separate components. And on one hand, that can seem like, okay, that's, but it's pretty complicated both to, to pull that off and the reasons why behind that. And one of the reasons um, and that we found as a barrier was the infrastructure and the footprint and the investment required for a hospital to embark on robotics all were complicated, costly, and high. And so we did a lot of time to say, okay, well, how do we bring you a technology that is flexible for how you want to use it? If you want to use one robot arm, two, three, four, we can give you something that, that meets those needs. But then from hospital administrators heard loud and clear, hey, please don't bring me a technology, especially an expensive one, that's going to be obsolete within two to three years. And we built that into the design of the system and that modularity that we can upgrade it um, mm-hmm. as technology advances. So there, there's other pieces, but it's very squarely after that, remove the barriers to purchase and use today. Interesting. I'm going through, obviously, I can't go through every product you folks sell, but I'm wondering, is this one of the larger systems you'd be selling in terms of space that it would take up in a place? I mean, normally you're you're developing really cutting edge pacemakers or things that are implantable and small. This is not. Uh, is that, a, was it been a different approach? It, it has, uh, you know, great, a great question and, and note. We do have some products in Medtronic that we'd call large-scale capital equipment. OON is an example of this. Um, but the, the vast majority of our portfolio are reusable or single-use devices or implantables. So this is a pretty major shift that has um, meaningful impact in, in multiple functions to become a large-scale capital equipment manufacturer. The complexity of how do you uh, not only um, design, develop, market, and sell, but install and service with excellence. So mm-hmm. it's a pretty significant and, and fun journey to get there. And I'm sure, Linnea, you have um, examples of that uh, yeah, as well. Thank you for for handing it over for me, Linnea. I was going to ask. I mean, you're <laughs> actually selling a system uh, at a time. I'd love to. I'd love to understand that sort of managing a, a slightly different business, but. In particular, I'd like to I'd like to understand how it's being done in this time with with COVID nineteen uh, hospitals under under stress financially and in in every other way. I wonder, number one, how how you are how you are selling the the Missouri system, but number two, how has COVID nineteen really impacted your your work over the last year? Yeah, yeah. 
Lots of stories to tell there. So a uh, great question. First of all, I'll say I've been at Medtronic for 20 years and spent the first 19 years in businesses with implantable types of technologies. And so this has been a big shift for me to take on large capital. And of course, the O-arm that Megan mentioned as part of this portfolio, um, probably the largest uh, piece of equipment that we um, manufacture and, and sell and service. So the last year has been very interesting. First of all, me making that transition to the mindset of large capital and all the things that go along with that, but also the challenges. And you you hit on a few of them. So from a sales perspective, just adapting to getting access to customers and doing that in new and different ways, supporting our field as they navigate the different uh, restrictions that uh, have come into play and flex throughout the year. Um, capital budgets have been constrained, and so we've been much more flexible in our approach and the ways that we offer the technology uh, and the uh, agreements that we have out in the marketplace. And then we talk about education and installation and getting access to um, accounts when we need to, in different markets around the world, install this equipment. So I think education is one of the most interesting stories because you think about, in of itself, education is kind of an elective activity, but the whole pipeline stops if you stop the education process. And so we've really flexed that. Of course, we've converted like many companies to a lot of digital and found it to be really effective in many t- in many ways. Um, but there's still a need for hands-on training. And so we have a fleet of trucks that we have taken around the country for many years, and we are leaning on those more than ever and uh, increasing the, the roadshow um, oh. where we give physicians the opportunity to get their hands on. And, and that's a really key part of the training for them to um, either, either train or retrain and enhance their skills or just to be exposed to it for the first time and decide if it's part of their offering at their hospital. Sometimes we even uh, have administrators who come come to check it out in that way, too. So that's been another way that we've flexed over the past year. And have you had difficulty uh, getting into the hospitals, making those sales, just getting access to the hospitals? What is day to day? What is what has it been like for you? Yeah, our teams in the field, I think um, they they have had access to the hospitals, Mm -hmm. but sometimes in different ways. And sometimes it's more over the phone or as we're doing here through Zoom, they're connecting with their physicians and the decision makers in in creative ways as well. But overall, the pipeline has kept moving and um, we're very optimistic about, about the future. Great. Well, let's let's uh, wrap up looking forward and talking about that future. We're, we're I feel like we're saying robotic surgery now, but it's going to be almost like online banking ten years from now. That I think, you know, it's going to be redundant. Uh, am I being overly confident in that, Megan? What what do you see the next five years looking like for robotic surgery with AI and, and the data you're mentioning? And, and maybe we can look a little bit beyond that if you're if you're comfortable doing that. I think. Uh, the, this is going to be one of um, one of the most rapid technology adoption stories um, I think we, we see in terms of robotics in the next five to ten years. It's going to be a really an, a, amazing case study and kind of point in history when we get ten years in the future and look back. Um, and, and I think that has to do with the amount of competition and investment that is pouring into robotics and healthcare is, is really unprecedented in the past 10 years, and that's starting to come to fruition. So I, I do think, to your point, you know, just next five years, you know, crystal balling it, and I'm thinking three to four X, you know, where we see today in terms of use of robotics and size of that market in the next five years. I think if we continue, we're going to keep seeing a, a, a market and an adoption that's at a double-digit caber for. 10 years. So I, I think the story is sort of just very nascent. Um, and the robotics of 
today uh, and the robotics of five years is going to look pretty different than the robotics of 10 years. I, I have no doubt one of us marketers will coin a new phrase <laughs> that comes, comes <laughs> with that. Uh, and, uh, and, and with that said, I do, you know, just looking at the the time it takes to wholesale adopt new technologies in medical devices, um, you know, that, that is measured in decades. So I'm, I'm sure just looking at laparoscopic surgery and, and that we're still not a majority of procedures are lap versus open around the world. Um, they will absolutely still be open in laparoscopic surgery. I say should never speak in absolutes, but <laughs> in five years, I would say probably 10 years. But to your point, it will probably be less than a, less of a thing to call something robotic surgery versus uh, versus just surgery. That's great. And, and Linnea, how about you? What do you see happening? And uh, I don't know if you could speak to maybe internationally, if you see other countries adopting this more quickly than we do, perhaps. What is that? I don't know if it, what does that, the lay of that land look like going forward? Yeah, that's interesting. So um, first of all, like Megan, I, I do see this growing exponentially, and that's why we're putting so much investment into it. Um, very optimistic about the value that it will continue to add. And so um we, you talked about putting the tech in med tech, and this is one of the categories where I think we, we can do that really well. So as we continue to combine artificial intelligence, preoperative planning, really predictive modeling around the procedure, um, that's just going to demonstrate great value over time. And I think uh, more and more physicians and uh, hospitals will want to get in. With that, I think health systems are becoming attracted to it as well. It is growing rapidly in the United States, and oftentimes we see growth here, usually outpaces many countries, but this is a space where I'm seeing some excitement and competitiveness from other parts of the world where uh, they also want to lead. So I think we'll see examples of that probably in China, and uh, I'm seeing that in some countries in Europe as well. Excellent. Well, it's a, it's an exciting area to be involved with. I'm sure you both are uh, excited to get on it every day. And I'm uh, really grateful that you took time to, uh, to tell your story on the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Yes, thanks Thank for you. having us, Tom. been great. Well, that is a wrap. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Medtronic Talks. Once again, this is Tom Salemi. I am Editorial Director of Device Talks. You can find me on Twitter at MedTechTom. Please connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm there under Tom Salemi, S-A-L-E-M-I. And of course, you can find out more about the Device Talks platform at devicetalks.com. We have conferences virtual and someday in person, and we have our Device Talks weekly podcast. It's all there once again at devicetalks.com. But thank you for joining us on this episode of Medtronic Talks. We'll keep bringing you several of these each and every month. So just subscribe on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Google, wherever you listen to your podcast, we're there. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a future episode of the Medtronic Talks podcast. Thanks, everyone. All right. Well, remember, folks, please uh, subscribe to the Medtronic Talks podcast on all your major podcast channels. I'll, I'll go over them a little bit when we talk about subscribing to this here podcast. But uh, now is the time when we plead for followers on social media. Danielle, you're uh, our visiting player. Why don't you go first? Uh, I can be found on Twitter at Danielle underscore Kirsch, K-I-R-S-H. And same on LinkedIn, Danielle Kirsch. Excellent. Chris Newmarker, where can I be found? Thou? Hey, you can find me. <laughs> Thou? Thou? Where can you be found, Chris? 
Are you watching like are you watching like medieval fantasy movies now or something? Word for you watching Monty Python's Holy. You are aren't you? Monty Python's Holy Grail. I'm watching The Witcher, and I won't get into that right now. But get oh, <laughs> let's move forward. <laughs> I'm glad you don't have like a sword strap behind you right now or something. <laughs> You can find me on, um, you know, you, you won't find me on any quest for dragons or anything. I'm, I'm on LinkedIn, Chris Newmarker, just like a, a new marker. Um, and I'm also on Twitter at Newmarker. Awesome. And I am on Twitter at MedTechTom. I'm on LinkedIn, Tom Salemi on Clubhouse at MedTechTom. And that is a wrap. Please do uh, subscribe to this here podcast. Well, first of all, share this episode with your friends, families, and colleagues. Anyone you think would enjoy this ridiculous conversation that we're having about TV and groundhogs, but also great interviews with MedTech professionals. And uh, please just subscribe on Apple, Google, Amazon, Spotify, we're everywhere. So uh, make sure you uh, subscribe so you do not miss a future episode. And uh, that's it. Tune in next week. We'll have another great episode of the Device Talks weekly podcast waiting for you. Talk to you soon.